As John said, you can find this morning's reading on page six of your Bibles. It's chapter four, beginning at verse one. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Now some of those chapters, 4 to 11, will be familiar with, to you. You will have all heard about the flood, uh, even if it was in the picture book, um, means of communication. You might be vaguely aware of the Tower of Babel, but other parts you'll probably don't even recall, like what do we make of the giant Nephilim of chapter 6? Now this morning it's Cain and Abel. Yes, that's where Geoffrey Archer got the title for one of his best-selling novels about the conflict between two men born on the same day on opposite sides of the world who are then brought together to hate and to destroy each other. But the setting for our story this morning isn't the 20th century in America, it is east of Eden, the land of Nod, a few thousand years, how many we don't know, after uh, um, their father and mother Adam and Eve had 
emerged on the scene. After they'd been expelled from paradise and had come to experience both morbidity, they got ill, and mortality, they died. Adam and Eve, we all know, disobeyed God and they were ashamed and they tried to hide from God and they blamed each other. But God had not carried out his pre-announced threat of punishment. They did not die. God had said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But they didn't. God was merciful. Instead, he expelled them from paradise. He put them into the real world, the world that was not so easy, the world where there was pain and where they had to work hard, but a world in which uh, man was alienated from God, a world where there was no longer uh, a place where he spoke to them or walked with them, where they met God face to face a world in which they would one day die. Then chapter 4 opens with the birth of Cain. By the help of the Lord, I have acquired a son, says Eve. There's an important distinction worth bringing out here, the difference between what's been called common grace and saving grace. You see, although man had tried to abandon God, and although God should... And, and did punish man. He didn't abandon man. If God had abandoned man, man would have uh, ceased to exist. If God had wanted to, he could have just turned the switch off and the whole of the universe would come to an end. But it's because he still loved rebellious man that he exercises common grace, grace towards all human beings, that allows the universe to continue, to allow new generations to come into being. It's a rare woman who doesn't say a little prayer of thanks to God at the birth of their firstborn child, just like Eve did. Common grace, then, is God's goodness to us, allowing the world to go on despite the fall. Saving grace is reserved especially for the people of God. God has many more blessings, like forgiveness, peace, eternal life, but only for those who respond to his love and seek them. Well, the rest of the passage is the story of Cain. Let's just break it down into uh, three sections to help us understand it. There, verses 2 to 7 are about Cain bringing his offering to the Lord and the Lord rejecting it. 8 to 12 are about Cain's murder of Abel and the Lord's uh, sentence on him. And then 13 to 16 are about Cain's appeal against his sentence and the Lord modifying it. So let's read 2 to 7 then. Later she gave birth to Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, if you do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Abel here, in case that's rather puzzling as to, uh, um, as to what's going on, we see here that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and the Lord rejected it. Now Abel had brought a sacrifice to God and that was accepted. Cain also brought a sacrifice to God but that was rejected. Now why was that? Why does God seem to discriminate between these two sons? Abel is a shepherd and he brought a lamb. Cain is a farmer and he bought some of his harvest. I mean, doesn't that seem fair enough? Well, it may do until we look at a few other verses in the Bible which have reference to Cain and Abel. And we get a few more facts and a fuller picture begins to develop. So in 1 John 3, for example, verse 12, page 300. I know it's not 300, it's different. Uh, 1 John 3 is very helpful here, particularly verse 12. We must not be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one and murdered his own brother Abel. Why did Cain murder him? Because the things he himself did were wrong, but the things his brother did were right. So Cain's action was evil because he was an evil person. Hebrews 11 suggests, verse 4, that Cain's action was also disobedient. Because unlike his brother, he didn't act by faith. We read, it was faith that made Abel's offer a better sacrifice than Cain's. Through his faith, he won God's approval as a righteous man because God himself approved of his gifts. Now, I think we have to assume that God had told them what sacrifices to bring and Abel obeyed, and Cain disobeyed. But perhaps worst of all, Cain's acts were self-righteous. Let me explain. God had said, bring an animal sacrifice, because in God's law, the penalty for sin is death, so a substitute death is necessary for acquittal to be possible. So an appropriate sacrifice would be the blood of a lamb. Abel realises that his own life is forfeit. He knows he's going to die. There's nothing he could do to please God to get his own life back. Only the life of some substitute victim would please God. Cain, on the other hand, by bringing the fruits of the field, is saying, this earth that you've cursed, I have worked and toiled on. I've overcome your curse, and I'm offering you the fruits of my good works. You see, two very different attitudes, as different as those of the Pharisee 
and the tax collector in the New Testament. The one coming to God full of self-righteousness, full of thinking himself better than others, full of all the good religious things that he does, and the other totally aware of his emptiness. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Now that's the difference between Cain and Abel. They both go to God with an offering. One says, look what I've produced, that should please you. The other says, nothing I've done will cover up my sin. Nothing, that is, except the death of another. The attitudes are so different, and that's why one pleased God and the other one didn't. Now, the next section, we find that Cain's response to all this was to murder Abel, just as you remember the Pharisees' response to Jesus was to murder him. Why? Because through both Abel and Jesus, God is completely rejecting the idea that any good we do could possibly earn our acceptance by him. And that's such a kick in the teeth to our meritocracy. Even if we get as far as recognising that we need to be saved, which is a miracle in itself, we still feel we have to earn it, to clock up a certain number of meritorious works. And God says, sorry, you can never earn enough. Acceptance by God is a gift that you receive, not a reward for your effort. And then Cain is sentenced. Well, God catches Cain, as if Cain could ever escape God. First of all, Cain lies. He says he doesn't know where Abel is. And then he sneers. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Is he not kind of old enough to look after himself, he's kind of implying? But God knows all that has happened. And Cain is sentenced to be a homeless wanderer. Another interesting little point worth noting here in passing is that about blood. In scripture it's always spilt blood. And it always has a consequence. Murder always results in vengeance, whereas sacrifice always results in pardon. Well, the third section, 13 to 16. But Cain appealed to God against his sentence, and God modified it. Cain thought to himself, I've been driven off the land. I've been banished from the presence of God. I'm to be a fugitive and anyone can kill me. And he thought that that was too much. He didn't know how he'd be able to bear that. The thought that he could be killed any time, any place. Now God never said anything about anyone killing Cain. It's as if Cain instinctively knows that the proper price for killing Abel is that he should die. 
But God again has mercy, and he says, if anyone kills Cain, sevenfold vengeance will be exacted on them. And another sign, though we don't know what on earth it might have looked like, another sign of God's concern is that he put this mark on Cain. But God is also showing here, again, common grace. He's aware that once you start that kind of bloodletting feud, there's no kind of controlling its escalation, which we have seen tragically in places like the Balkans and Rwanda and probably Syria in the last 20 years. Cain's punishment is to be banished from the presence of God to the land of Nod or the land of wandering east of Eden. Well, that's the story. What are the lessons? I'm sure the main message of this episode is to remind us how awful sin is. Sin is alien to this world. It entered in through the devil, but it's been passed on through man. The bigger difference between the brothers is that Abel recognised it and Cain did not. If you think that you're a good person and either you don't need saving or you can save yourself, well then of course you've had it. You have no hope of salvation. That's the essence of sin, self-righteousness. God says we are not all right with him and yet we think we are. When he tells us what's necessary to be acceptable to him, we're to have faith that another's life was good enough to pay for our sins. We offer him one or two of our own good deeds in the hope that they'll cover up a lifetime of bad thoughts, words and deeds. That's truly pathetic by comparison. Sin, from this story, is simply the refusal to submit to the instructions of God. It is proud disobedience. And sin spreads. We've also seen how it spreads. Cain's pride led to jealousy that led to anger, hatred, malice, and then murder. He was unable to control his wild passions. He lied. He tried to shift the blame. He remained even after the murder, unrepentant. We also see how sin brings such sorrow and suffering, don't we? Cain's sin was not an isolated little affair. It caused pain to others and not just to himself. It caused pain to God, the creator. It caused pain to Abel, who was killed. And it caused pain to Adam and Eve, who lost one son and whose other son was a murderer. 
Sin may be essentially a spiritual affair, a matter of our relationship with God, our rebellion against him, but it also has social consequences. Today, we're so tolerant of two things which grieve God the most. Two direct contraventions of the Ten Commandments. One is adultery and the other one is abortion. And if you watch any of the kind of soaps that you have on TV, I'm not actually a current follower of any of them, but uh, they always have this kind of storyline, don't they? One thing is done wrong, other things are done to cover it up, and the whole thing gets worse, and it affects people and spreads to people. But in both those cases of adultery and abortion, it's thought that it's really just a kind of private, personal matter for an individual to make, but it is far from that. In the case of adultery, there's the betrayal of the spouse, the depriving children of a parent, the uh, depriving, grand, uh, depriving uh, both the grandparents and the child of that grandparently grandchild relationship. And if people are dishonest in their personal relationships, who's to say that they won't be in their public ones? And so dishonesty spreads. Or with abortion, what about the child's right to life? What about the father's right to have a child? What about the dehumanizing effect it must have on the medical and nursing staff who carry out such things day in, day out? No, sin is solitary. It inevitably involves others. And finally, the fourth lesson from the story about sin, and that's that sin receives and deserves the judgment of God. God is still a God of grace. We've seen that the uh, procreation continues. He keeps the world going. He provided an effective sacrifice for our sins in Jesus Christ, so we can be accepted by him. And he overrules the world and protects it from tearing itself apart. But he is a God of judgment too. He sees all the sins that are ever committed. He hears the cry of the innocent. When those unjusted treated like the fatherless and the aborted cry to him and say, why God do you allow this? He says, judgment will fall on the evildoer. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. In the meantime, the sinner's conscience leads him to Rome. There's no rest for the wicked until we pray they come to find their rest in God. But if they don't repent, well, it is exclusion from the presence of God, not just in this life, but forever. So let's take away from this uh, passage a correct understanding of human nature. What man is really like? He is 
proudly disobedient towards God. He is getting worse, not better. He causes pain and suffering to others. He will one day face the judgment of God for his sins. And in the meantime, he roams, restless. His one hope is if he avails himself of the only life that is acceptable to God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, despite the rebellious foolishness of our ancestors, you still display common grace to us and you allow this world to continue and you restrain its worst features. And we thank you above all for saving grace, that the only effective sacrifice for our sins is the perfect sacrifice of our Saviour Jesus Christ. May we avail ourselves of it, and may we enjoy your presence now and forever. Amen.